Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings! Don't you just love our family? We're as varied as the colors in a rainbow, but we are of one accord in what matters most. Today's readings are Numbers 11 through 13. There is a lot to unpack in these few chapters, so much so that I could easily pause for a a week or more and go into it all in our reading. Instead, I hope that you will chime in on things you see and pull out of the text in the comments in the Facebook group. Pay special attention to the Holy Spirit and how it's talked about. The Nephilim, if anyone wants to go back and do any fun research into what Genesis says about them, etc. Other rabbit trails you might want to hop on are the animosity towards the Kushites, Yahweh's new leadership arrangement to help out Moses, and the countless other points in this small bit of text. Here are my rabbit trails. Well, we aren't starting in the best of places as far as the Israelites are concerned. The people complained. Okay, it's important to realize that the verse numbers and chapter numbers we have in our Bibles were put there by man long after the text was written. Often, in order to get the full picture of what's going on, we need to remove them mentally in order to see it as a continuous story. Having said that, I want you to read the last two verses of chapter 10 and the first verse of chapter 11. Numbers 10 verses 35 through 11.1 reads, And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And the people complained in the hearing of Yahweh about their misfortunes. And when Yahweh heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Whew! Yes, they did have some nerve. Then Moses chimed in. Now, in his defense, I can feel for Moses. Here he is, leading millions of people, Yahweh himself raining down manna each day and living, actually physically living among them. And all they do is whine and complain. To be Moses and to go to the Father with that kind of complaint, with that level of honesty. At first it concerned me because of the lack of reverence, but then... I recall how much reverence Moses has shown to Yahweh, and I realize that at the end of the day, Moses has a personal, intimate relationship with the Father, and here he is going to him with his problems and laying it all out there in a raw, honest, and forthright manner. Moses is being real with God. However, keep in mind that Moses had a very special relationship with the Father. The closer you are to someone, the more honest you can be with them. I think it's important that we be honest with the Father in our conversation and our prayers. It's not like He doesn't know the truth anyway. But I do think that should be part of a deep, abiding, and faithful relationship on our part. We should never only approach God with our complaints and wish lists like some department store Santa Claus. I don't know why I went on that trail, so let me get back to the point here. 
In Numbers 12.3, we are reminded of how humble Moses was, and this speaks volumes about his character. So if you remember one quote about him as a person, remember this one. It reads, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Can you imagine being the most humble man on the face of the earth? This is who Yahweh chose to represent him. This is still his way today. In Numbers 11.4, we see a statement. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept against again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but manna to look at. I'm going to have to take a deep breath after reading that. My first point is that the rabble is often referred to as the mixed multitude. Now, note that the second part adds, and the people of Israel also. So, this rabble is made up of folks who were not part of the tribes of Israel, but who joined themselves to Israel, followed the Father's instructions, and as a result, were granted deliverance from bondage by Him, just as He granted it to His chosen people. They were not born chosen people, but they were grafted in as sojourners, sometimes called strangers in the text. You could also say that they were adopted. I want to reiterate, every chance I get, that Yahweh has always made a way for us to join Him. He has been a God of grace and mercy from day one. Now, this is not to diminish in any way what our Messiah did. This is just part of the story leading up to that. What this does is help us to see that when Yahweh said, I am Yahweh, I do not change, in Malachi 3.6, He means it when He says that. He has always been who He is, and He will always be. When we take these integral principles of who He is, and we separate them and try to say that they took place in a set time period or that he changed his mind on who he would allow to be his people, it further reinforces errant teachings that have led many believers to get to the point of feeling that the Bible's no longer applicable to us. This is just something to turn over in your mind a bit. Ruminate on. He will bring the knowledge to fullness in each of us over time. What did the manna look like? Before reading the Bible for myself, I believe it looked like large white flakes due to Exodus 16:14. But here we get further descriptions. We are told that it is like coriander seed, and its appearance is that of, of bdellium. By the two terms being separated by and, we can tell that they are describing different aspects of manna's appearance. So we can assume that coriander seed is probably the size, since we're told that bdellium is the appearance. So in my post here, I have a picture of some coriander seed for you to look at. Now, let's look at bdellium. Now, according to Wikipedia, this is a semi-transparent oleogum resin. And here is what it looks like. I have a picture here. It's also called false myrrh. You really should check out this picture because I was not expecting this when I started digging in. So while we're not told the color and that it was likely white since folks said it looked like frost on the grass, this gives us a much better idea of what manna actually looked like. And I find this fascinating. 
In Numbers 11, verses 7 through 10, in the same breath we are told of the miracle of the manna and that these Hebrews were able to gather it, grind it, beat it, boil it in pots and make cakes, and that the cakes tasted like they'd been made with oil, even though they had not. In this very same breath, we hear of everyone in the camp weeping at the entrance to their tent. We can discern from this angering the father that this weeping was not out of gratitude. They had just taken part in yet another miracle, so why weren't they grateful? They had before them blessings and curses, and the blessings by far outweighed any hardship, but they had chosen to focus on the hardship, and in doing so, it grew in their mind to such a degree that it outweighed the miracle of living in the presence of the Father, being fed by His mighty hand and being delivered from slavery and bondage. Y'all, what you water grows. If we focus on the curses, we end up in this exact same place. Remember, the Father's not telling us all these stories so that we can feel like we're such better believers than our spiritual ancestors. He's telling us these stories because He knew we were going to repeat this behavior. And we have. And we are. And we do. What you water grows. Numbers eleven sixteen. These elders were not random people. The Father had Moses choose men who were trusted and revered. He is rising up more leaders to be accountable for their people and to serve as examples to follow. Isn't it amazing that Messiah is our ultimate example? The love and care He showed in living among us so that we can walk as he walked, by simply following in his footsteps. Numbers 11.23 has a statement that we really need to think about often. Yahweh is addressing doubt coming from Moses. And I want to share another translation from the NASB for clarity here. It very much matches up with the original Hebrew. And this reads, Numbers 11.23, Yahweh said to Moses, Is Yahweh's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Do we really think his power has limits? That he can't do what he says he will do? Now you probably answered, no, of course not. Then why do we act like we think that? Numbers 11 verses 25 through 26. We see the Holy Spirit come upon the elders and the Eldad and Medad. Honestly, this happens so many times in our foundational scriptures that I'm sure I've already missed opportunities to point out some instances, but I want to reiterate that the common teaching and thought that the Holy Spirit only came in the New Testament is easily debunked with a simple reading of the Word. Like so many myths and errant doctrines, isn't it amazing how much we see, how easy it is to understand, and how obvious the obvious is when we just commit to putting in the time at our Father's feet each day? Remember Daniel 10, 12, one of my favorite verses that I came upon when I set my heart to read, know, and study his word. And it reads, from that first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of those words. When we set our heart to humble ourselves and honor him, he meets us there. Precious Joshua, Moses' right-hand man since he was just a boy, sees others having the Holy Spirit and dwelling in them, and urges Moses to stop them. Now, he had only seen his mentor have this gift before, and he was leery of anyone else having it, 
for what is likely a myriad of reasons. Moses shows us his understanding of Joshua when he replies by asking him if he's jealous for Moses' sake, and then goes on to tell him that if it was within his power, all of Yahweh's people would be prophets, and they would all have his spirit within them. The Hebrew used for prophet is a word that is also used for a spokesman. So you, can, you could possibly look at this as Moses saying that if he had it his way, all of Yahweh's people would represent him and have the Holy Spirit within them. Read that sentence again. <laughs> if he had it his way, all of Yahweh's people would represent him and have the Holy Spirit within them. Did that give you goosebumps? It sure did me. Numbers eleven thirty one, The plague of quail was 36 inches deep. The Father had reached a point with these people that many of us as parents have reached at some point in our lives. You indulge, you give good gifts, you deliver them from hardship, you counsel them in wisdom, you work harder to provide, you indulge to offer more comfort, etc. And yet, they grumble against you, incessantly. All I'm saying is that the Father showed far more grace and mercy than I have. Now, lest we think we are too clo- we are too close to the Father or advanced enough on our walk that we have no need to practice care, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. We're told this is because of the Cushite woman he had married. Now, the Cushite wife is part of a great rabbit trail with many possibilities should you choose to take it. There are varying opinions. So the father's not having this. He has appointed a man, Moses was the first mediator, Messiah was the second, to represent him, and his people will show proper regard for that. He illustrates how dear Moses is to him. Numbers 12, 6 through 9 reads, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. Whew! Oh my goodness. Numbers 11.34 says, They buried the people who had the craving. This is referring to the people who craved the meat they'd had in Egypt. The fathers before them, and they do not wish for what he has to offer. They want what the world offers, and they get it. His way is life. The world is death. Miriam's leprosy was not leprosy. Miriam is struck with, quote, leprosy, according to most translations, but this is the zarat that we have spoken of earlier. Not that we consider, not what we consider leprosy today. It is a physically manifested spiritual affliction caused by God in a temporary one. Her loving brother Moses pleads for her healing, and after seven days, she is healed and allowed to return to camp. In Numbers 13, 16, we see that Joshua was born Hosea, but that Moses changed his name to Joshua. This is symbolic and very intentionally so. Joshua was to be Moses' successor, and his name states that faith and hope. Joshua is trend in Hebrew transliterated is Yehoshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. This is also the name the angels told Mary to give to her son, our Messiah. Matthew one twenty one reads, 
you shall name him Yeshua, Yahweh saves, because he will save us. Now that's once we put his actual transliterated name in there, not the name that he's been given in English, which is fine. You call him what you like. Let's say it with love and reverence, and we're of one accord again. It's amazing what a tiny understanding of original names does for context. Numbers 13.25 The spies were gone 40 days before bringing back their ill report. As punishment, they and their families would go on to wander in the desert a year for each day that they were gone. Numbers 14.34 Numbers 13.31 reads, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. The implication here is that these men are saying that the people who spied out, they spied out, are stronger than all of Israel, with Yahweh backing them. You tell them, Caleb. I love Caleb's faith when it comes to give reports of the giants in the land. The other scouts were already defeated, explaining all the reasons why they couldn't possibly take the land from the giants within. And Caleb steps up, quietens everyone, and says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. That's Numbers 13.30. Yes, he knows who his God is. Let's have the spirit of Caleb as we go forth in the world. If he be for us, who can be against us? May his will be done. I could add double this amount of notes on today's reading, but I'll leave that to you now. Relish every moment of your time with the Father today. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.